Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 28. I'll go my way, you go UA. Hi everyone, welcome back again. Today is the last day in November. I was off uh, traveling last week, went to Pennsylvania to have Thanksgiving with my wife's family. It was a, it was a fun trip, had a good time there. And I'm back, back to work, and all my normal stuff. Tonight's show is... Tonight's show is sort of gonna... Tonight's show is just tonight's show, I guess. We're gonna be doing the usual stuff. I'm gonna go through some news. I'm gonna talk about games by Uwe Rosenberg. I've covered uh, the Harvest Trilogy before, and kind of gave a comparison of the three games in it. Today I'm gonna talk briefly about all the games by Uwe Rosenberg that I've played Solitaire. I think I've played all of them right now at this point, upset Le Havre, and I'm guessing I'll never get around to that one at this point either. Today I'm going to review At the Gates of Luoyang. Well, looking at this game, I realized that Uwe Rosenberg has made a whole bunch of Solitaire games, or games that support Solitaire play, and I've actually played quite a few of them. You know, many of them just once, but still I have played them, like at least give a vague idea of what you're like if I still remember. So I decided to go ahead and talk about all of them a little bit and maybe even talk a little bit about Uwe Rosenberg himself. It might be interesting, but honestly I don't really have much information so so maybe it won't be that interesting. I don't know. We're also going to settle the contest from the last episode for the three sets of dice. Also, before I forget, it may be a while before I get to the next episode. We recently found out my dog has been diagnosed with cancer and we want to get it treated Unfortunately, it's going to cost a bunch of money, so I'm going to try and work some overtime at my job. And if that works out, I probably won't have a chance to record at least until the end of December. So it might be, you know, the end of the year, maybe early next year when you hear from me again. Maybe not, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but don't be surprised if you don't see, hear another show this year. Maybe I'll just try and record a really short show at some point. I'm sure I could come up with a quick game to talk about just just to not make a really long gap between two shows, because I really don't like doing that, even though they're not that frequent as it is. Anyway, um, on with the show. First up is news. I don't have a lot this time. I have a few items. First up, the news. I don't have very much. The first item, Paizo announced that they're going to be creating a co-op card game. I assume it supports solitaire play. It's based on the Pathfinder. On Pathfinder role-playing game, which is based on off D20 D&D, third edition D&D, I guess. The game is going to be expandable. I believe what they said is it's going to have an expansion pack of 100 cards or so every month or two, every month. And the base set is going to bring about 400 cards in it. The second news item is also about a card game, specifically the Lord of the Rings Living Card Game by Fantasy Flight Games. They have released the Heirs of Numenor expansion. Now it's another with the medium-sized boxes, and that will also be the base for the next arc of small pack expansions. I saw that at the game store today. It's a really nice box. It's a nice shade of like baby blue, and it goes for about thirty dollars. I didn't get it because I haven't played the game in a while. I keep wanting to, but just haven't had time, unfortunately. Third item, which is not really a news. I was at the game store today, my local friendly game store, with a friend of the show, Tim, and he came across a card game, which was a customizable card game, I guess collectible, 
and it was for one or more players. Fantasy themed, I don't really remember much else, but it was a, a pretty smallish box. I think it brought like 160 cards and a bunch of counters, it's not like plastic counters, and it retailed for about $30. No idea what it's called, so sorry. Okay, so now let's talk about Uwe Rosenberg. He was uh, born in Germany in 1970, makes him about 42, slightly younger than me. He is a German game designer, and he started, this is according to BGG, by the way, um, and that apparently came from Wikipedia, because I looked there and it's the same exact text, pretty much. He, uh, his first game designs, or at least playing around with game design and mechanisms and stuff like that, was when he was still in school, and while in school, started uh, publishing play-by-mail games. His most famous game, Bonanza, was published while still in school. I'm not sure if it was like primary school or high school or university or what, but it was published while he was still a student. And uh, he graduated with a degree in statistics. His primary job is game development. And he, as I said, he's most famous for Bonanza. And he's published a few other games, of course, including Agricola, which has been or was number one in BGG for a while, and has won quite a few awards. In 2000, he founded Lookout Games with a few other game designers, and apparently it was founded mainly to publish Bonanza expansions, but they did a lot early on. But now they also publish other larger games like Le Havre and I think Merc Mercator and some of the other games. The larger games are published by them. They're also publishing games by other designers now. I believe they just published Ted Alspeck's new game, Suburbia. So anyway, that, that's about it. That's about the stuff worth mentioning, I guess, from here. It's not a very big article anyway, but if you're interested, go to BGG and you can check it out for yourself. So now that you know about Uwe, let's look at some of the games he's published that support solitaire play. I'm going to go through the list in the order I wrote them, which is neither chronological nor alphabetical. I'm not going to say a lot about each game, just kind of give you a brief description of it as I know it. So first up is Agricola. It's a game about medieval farming. It's a game which is designed for one to four players. The solitaire game is a little bit different from other games in that it's actually a campaign. You play solo and get a score. you got to get at least I think 55 points. When you play a game of Agricola, you're going to have two sets of eight cards each. When you play the solitary campaign, you'll play the first game with your eight cards. Then if you get the, the score you need, you'll go on to play second game. You're going to keep one card from each of the two sets and draw seven new for each set and try and beat a slightly higher score. If you succeed, you'll play again, keeping the, the cards you originally kept, the two cards you originally kept, plus two more, and then draw six for each set and then try and beat again a slightly higher score. And you're going to keep doing this until you play it all the way through to the end, and uh, at the very last game you get to draw one card of each type only. And I think at that point you have to beat like a score of 100 or something like that. It's pretty high. I've never made it past like the second uh, game in the campaign. Anyway, this is a good solitaire game because there's tons of variability in it. The game itself brings, I don't know, a few hundred cards, in the solitaire game, you can't play with all of them. Some are for two or more players only, or even four or more players. Well, can I say it's a four-player game? Maybe that part's not right. Anyway, the but you still do have a lot to choose from. There's a family version, and there's about three different types of deck that you can choose from also. So you can play with 
I think like the A deck or the B deck or the C deck, where you can even mix them up. And each time you play the game, you can ha draw seven or eight different cards. You never even know what you're going to have. And from one game to the next, it can be very different based on what you draw. Besides what you get in the game, there are also expansions. There's a uh, the goodies expansion, which is actually just a bunch of some stuff to make the game more cosmetically attractive, I guess, and some expansion decks. There are a few other expansions you buy that are just decks of cards, and there is also the Farmers of the Moor expansion, which adds new mechanics. And there's also the Through the Seasons, which is really just a postcard. You can mix and match the expansions as you wish, as you wish. When you add in cards, you're just going to still shuffle and you don't even know what you get. You may choose to play with just, just cards from the expansion or mix it in with the regular cards. So, you know, there's potentially a huge amount of variability. The Solitaire game, if I remember right, lasts about 45 minutes. I like this one. It's pretty fun. I haven't gotten it out a lot. I honestly don't know why. Next is Aura and Labora. This game came out last year at Essen. It's also about farming and stuff like that in the medieval ages. This one feels a bit like a Agricola, but it also has a board in which you're playing cards on the board and expanding your your area. And I say it feels like Agricola, but it definitely plays differently. The artwork is very Agricola-ish. I've played this solo once. Honestly, I was a bit underwhelmed because the solo game is absolutely zero variability. Every time you play, you're going to set it up exactly the same, and if you play all the same exact moves, you're going to get the same exact score every time. So I dislike that about it. Fortunately, there is a lot of variability as you play. you got a lot of choices, so you could definitely play two very different games. I think it's more of a really complex puzzle. You're going to play it and play it and play it, trying to get the highest score you could ever get. And as you keep playing, you're going to learn things that work and don't work and keep trying to tweak your game to get a higher score. And that's fine and all, but the, the game is, I think it's about two hours long to play. I don't remember for sure. It's been about a year since I played it. It might have been, it might have been 60 minutes even, I don't think so. But even then, for me that's just too long for a puzzle. We're just gonna play over and over and change it slightly. It's not enough variability, I think, for my taste. I said it's, it's the same setup every time you play. However, I should clarify that there are two setups you could choose from. You could play in Ireland, I think, or France. And it changes the game a bit because you have different cards and different resources you play with. If you are inter interested in this one, there's a How to Play podcast episode on it you can listen to. I bet you there's one for Agricola and some of the other games here too. I wouldn't be surprised. But, you know, there's definitely more information on it. I don't think you'd want to buy this just for the solo game. If you, if you think you're going to play with other people, Go for it, but again, for the solo game, it's just a really complex puzzle. Or buy it, play it, and if you do get tired of it, you could probably sell it again. I'm sure it'll keep its value for a little while. Anyway, next is Mercator. We're traveling forward in time now. This game is about shipping and transportation in, I think, Renaissance Europe. In it, you're a, tr a German trader, and your goal is to buy and sell goods and ship them around the world, I guess. The game is a bit more abstract than the than Agricola or, or Labora. But again, it's sort of a puzzle game in that you have a board and you're going to different regions on the board and picking up cubes. As you pick up a cube, it's going to add other cubes to the spaces around it. So you're trying to like go to spaces to get the resources there so you could use them or sell and sell them and make money and at the same time 
increase the cubes in the other spaces so you can then later on go to those and use them and sell them. And the order you go to each location is going to affect how the cubes spread and how you play. So it's pretty interesting. I only played it once. I was really, really tired, so I didn't think I followed it very well. Not my, and honestly, I was kind of confused in it. I did like the shortness of it. I would definitely have to try it again. It's not a good choice if you're tired, though. I will say that much. It comes in a box the same size as Agricola or, or Labora, so it's a pretty large-ish game. I know this one was published by Lookout Games. The first two I mentioned, Agricola and Or Labora, have both been published by Z-Man Games in the U.S. Next is Bon Roshan, which is one of the expansions for Bonanza. It's a small box expansion. It's, say, about the same size box as Onirum. I played this one once, maybe twice, and it's been a couple years. Honestly, I don't remember a whole lot about it. Hopefully, you're familiar with Bonanzas. It'll, so I'm thinking again, some thoughts of detail in it, but in, basically, in that game, you have a hand of cards, and you're playing cards from your hand to the table. The thing is, you have to play the cards in the order you draw them. So it gets tricky, and you can only have cards played onto three different stacks at a time. There's more to it than that, but that's that's basically a little bit about how the mechanic works in, in Bonanza. In Bonrosian, which is Rapunzel, you know, it's uh, Sleeping Beauty. You're trying to get to the castle and rescue Sleeping Beauty. What this expansion does is it adds cards to complicate the game as you're playing along. The cards will have you do things like, say, when you get to this card, you have to have two fields populated or when you get to this card you're gonna have to discard half your hand or or something's gonna happen and as you're playing the game each turn basically you're going to one of these cards and doing that action and your goal is to get to the end of all I think it was about 40 cards and beat the and beat Dirk the automated opponent and all Dirk was doing if I remember right is moving forward I believe that was the game. It might have been a little bit different. It's interesting. It was fun. It's a Bonanza for one. The I like the way the cards work because you 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 lay out all the cards at the beginning of the game. You know what's coming up, so you're planning for each card and trying to keep you know keep your hand of cards just right and the money you have and all that, so that when these different challenge cards come up, you're ready for that particular one. It also brings some neat bean meeples. They're about two inches tall or so. Another Bonanza game is Alcabone, which, you know, I actually had this for a few years. I didn't realize I could just play it solitaire until just uh, last week. It is a Bonanza variant for two players, for one or two players, and you're playing against each other, just like in the normal Bonanza game, but then there's also a Mafia, which is represented by three cards. Each turn, they're taking cards, which may be coming from your your field, potentially your hand, or the cards you draw each turn that you may get to keep for yourself. So you're basically, in this one, you're basically playing Bonanza by yourself, trying to get as many points as you can. At the same time, there's cards going to the Mafia, and they're making, they're collecting points. This was, this was I played it the other day, I think I played two games. It was fun, it was pretty light. It felt in a way like playing patience with a uh, more strategy and more pasted on theme. Not sure what to say about it. I think now I'm not sure. I have a German version of this. 
which is the same size box again as Onirim. It's a small, it is a small two deck card box. I believe if you get the U.S. version of Bonanza, it includes the Alcabone expansion and therefore the Solitaire. You could play Solitaire in it. I don't know if the U.S. version of the game includes the Solitaire rules or not. According to BGG, it's a two to six player game or something like that. So like it appears it doesn't, but I don't know. Either way, you could just go on BGG and find the rules if you go to the Alcabone page. So that's it. I have left out two games from my list. One is at the gates of Luoyang, which I'm going to talk in a lot more detail in a minute. And the other is Le Havre, which I have not played yet. Besides these games, uh, Uwe Rosenberg has a few other games which don't support solitaire game, but there weren't too many. A couple of them were Bonanza and Bonanza variants, and I think one, again, one or two other games, which I hadn't heard of before. And I guess all those play-by-mail games are also not solitaire. Let's go on to Gates of Luoyang. Okay, so today's game is At the Gates of Luoyang, designed by Uwe Rosenberg. The art is by Clemens Franz. It was published in 2009 in the U.S. by Z-Man Games. So this game is part of the Harvest Trilogy, along with uh, Agricola and Le Havre, and probably it's more than a trilogy and should include Aura and Labora. And honestly, I think even Mercator, because the all of those games, I think, are sort of similar in that uh, you're growing resources and using them. And by growing resources, I mean every turn resources are multiplying, having little baby resources. The Gates of Luoyang is about farming, or at least selling fruits and vegetables in ancient China around 2,000 years ago. This game is going to be played over nine turns, and you're actually going to be planting vegetables and then selling them in the market. I should say you're going to be harvesting and then selling them in the market. The way it works is you have a cards that represent fields, and each card has a number of spaces. You start the game with a card that has nine spaces on it, and you're going to put one vegetable on it of your choice. You get three to pick from, and the cost varies depending on which one you take. And you're going to, you're going to fill it up with those nine, nine copies of that vegetable. As you play the game, you're going to be getting other fields and you're going to be filling them up with vegetables. The fields you get throughout the game have either three, four, five, or six spaces on them. So definitely not as big as this one. There are also cards for buyers. There's two types of people that will buy your vegetables. One is a, I forget the term, I believe it's a recurring customer. And each turn, you, they're going to buy two vegetables from you. Each buyer buys a specific pair of vegetables. Both vegetables might be the same or it might be two different ones. Uh, let me see, for example, the vegetables you have, and grains, I guess, I think is wheat, beets, pumpkin, beans, uh, cabbage, maybe. I don't remember the others. But um, let's say somebody's going to buy from you, he might buy beets and pumpkins every year, every turn. And each turn represents a year. So. During your turn, towards the end of the turn, you're going to have to sell him one beet and one pumpkin, and he'll give you some money. On the next turn, again, you got to sell him a beet and a pumpkin, and the price tends to go up little by little. And after you've done this four times, you get to discard that buyer card. You are required to sell to that person each year. If you don't, there can be a penalty. And then there's another type of buyer, which is a casual buyer, and he will buy three vegetables exactly, three specific vegetable types. 
and again, there could be mix. It could be, for example, one wheat and two celery. And he will pay you a fixed price for these three things. Once he's bought it, that card's discarded and he, that buyer is gone. These casual buyers tend to pay more than the regular buyers, but they, you know, they're also taking three vegetables instead of two per year. And there's a little more variability in the price, which I'll get to in a little bit. Oh, I'll get to it now. No, no, I will get to it in a little bit. I'm going through telling you the different types of cards we have in the game, aren't we? And I guess the different components. Besides the two buy, the two types of buyer cards, there's also some sellers which have market, they're called market stalls. And the market stall cards will have three vegetables on it that you can trade for. You can trade any kind of vegetable for whatever he has. And the, the cost is either one vegetable or two vegetables. It depends on the card you're playing and the type of vegetable. I'm looking at the back of the box, for example. And it has a pumpkin, which you could trade one for one. So you could give any vegetable up, and it goes back to the resource pool, and you'll get that pumpkin. Or it has, I may have the wrong vegetable types, we'll call it bok choy. Or you could buy a bok, trade for a bok choy, but it costs you two of your vegetables of any type. And so you give up two vegetables, put in the resource pool, and take that bok choy that you might need. The next type of card, and I believe the last type of card, is the trader. Or not the trader, I'm sorry, that's one specific one. It is a person who who you take into your tableau of cards and will do something in the game for you. It might let you buy vegetables cheaper or sell them cheap or a higher price. It might let you sell twice to a regular customer in a single turn. It might let you take cards from other players if you're playing a multiplayer game. So you know they they have different effects. Oh, here's the list of vegetables: wheat, which is yellow; pumpkins, orange; turnips. Cabbages, which are white, beans, and leeks. Not saying bok choy, but that's actually leeks. I think I should have known that. Anyway, and then besides that, and then when you're playing, the other component, major component you have is a victory point track, which is also used to organize your cards that you've gotten, all your buyers and characters and all that. Uh, the victory point track goes from 1 to 18, and you start at 1. Oh, and finally, besides those components, you also have cash, currency in the game. So, the way the game works, I'm going to skip the second phase for now, which is a table and go into more detail on that later. But the, the first thing you can do each turn is harvest any field you have and take one vegetable from each field and put it on your cart in your active resources for this turn. If that empties a field, you'll discard the empty field. If you empty the your main field with nine spaces, the game is going to end after this turn. After you harvest your fields, you're going to draw from your deck, I forgot to mention these, you have a deck of 8 field cards and you're going to draw the top card and flip it over and that's a new field you get starting this turn and it starts empty. After you've done that, you're going to draw 2 cards from the tableau you may have to pay for them depending on which cards you take and you're going to play them to your to your area. These are not cards you have, they may be customers as I said before, market stalls or a helper. Then after that, you're going to refill the tableau so you see what's coming up in future turns. And then you go into phase three, which is really the heart of the game, where you're buying and selling vegetables and planting fields and doing stuff. In this part of the phase, you, you got like six different actions you could choose. You could sell vegetables to a regular customer or to a casual customer. If you sell it to a regular customer, you just put the two vegetables on the card so you know you sold for this turn. and You're going to keep doing that until you've done it four times. Once you've done it four times, you'll discard that regular customer. If it's a casual customer, the vegetables just go straight to the resource pool, and you discard the card, and you get your money. Those are basically the—that's basically the way you'll make money in this game: is selling vegetables, 
to, to customers. Then the other thing you could do is you could trade vegetables with the market stalls. You could trade something you have that isn't so useful for something you might want. The Another thing you could do is you could plant vegetables. If you have a field that is empty, which is generally be a field you just played this turn, you could plant it. You take one of your vegetables that you have in your in your current turn in your cart and you plant it and then you fill up the cart how many spaces it has with other vegetables of the same type so for example if I, if I have a field that's five space and it's empty and I stick corn on it I'll take my one corn that I have for my resources for my pool of active vegetables I will take another four wheat from the resource pool and then starting next turn each turn I will take one back into my resource into my cart there is also a market which you can buy and sell from each person starts again with a bunch of vegetables in their market and it's basically a way to get vegetables when you don't have any but also if you have surplus you could sell it to them unfortunately the market has two spaces for every type of vegetable except corn I'm sorry except wheat which has three types of vegetables it has those spaces and if those spaces are full you cannot sell to them if those spaces are empty you cannot take from them so, for example, I found a few times, like, I might have wanted to buy another pumpkin, but I couldn't because I had bought them all. The cost to buy them is generally a, a lot higher than the cost to sell back. For example, the most uh, expensive vegetable, the leek, will cost you six to buy, and you can sell back for only two. Selling to that is really not a way you're going to make money. But it's just something to do if you have surplus, and I've rarely sold back to them. There is one more action you could do during the game, during the turn, which is buy a two-pack which is a little bit confusing and all you can do is you're going to pay and draw two cards from the deck and play them to your area but it's weird because you play the two cards one on top of the other you choose which card goes on top and which goes on the bottom and you play them together and you only consider it as having the top card the other one basically doesn't exist until you use up the top card the fourth type of card which I mentioned the helpers you can basically play at any time that's appropriate. Some you can only play at certain phases of the game. But you choose whenever you want to play it, if it's appropriate, and you play it and discard it. And, you know, you take whatever action it said. The final thing you're going to do in your turn is, you, if you want to, you could spend one cash and go one space up in the victory track. If you want to go up a second or third space in the victory track that turn, after that you have to spend points equal to the, the space number. So, for example, you start in space one in the first turn. If you want to go to space two, it's going to cost you one cash. If you want to go to space three, it's going to cost you three more. If you want to go to space four, it's going to cost you four more on top of that. If you start to turn on space ten, if you want to go to space eleven, it's going to cost you one. If you want to go to space twelve, after that, on the same turn, it's going to cost you twelve more. So, you, so you want to try and move every turn because it can be cheaper, but you know at least at one space. But if you can move more, that's even better. And I said you get nine turns in the game, and a good score is something like 16 points. A good starting score, I think, is what the rulebook says, is about 16 points. That's basically the game. Each turn you harvest your resources, take new cards to play into your area, and then take all your actions of basically buying and selling vegetables and making, hopefully making money. Buying, selling, planting, buying and selling vegetables. And hopefully making money. And hopefully going up the experience point track. I think it was called the prosperity track or something like that. Anyway, the one thing I left out was the tableau and I think the tableau is what really makes the solitaire game a better experience and it is very different from the multiplayer game. In the solitaire game what you're going to do is at the beginning you're going to take from the deck of cards and you're going to play 
three cards across and then play three more below that and then three more below that and then three more below that so you basically have a table of three by four cards each turn in the second phase when you take cards you can take any two cards you want the top two cards are the top row of cards are free the cards below that cost one cash the cards below that in row three or four cost two cash each so you could always take the top ones really cheap or something lower for more money after you've taken your two cards Okay, it's a little bit weird. You can discard any cards from the second row, and then everything below the second row is going to shift up as high as it can, and then you fill up the bottom again. So now you know what's coming up next turn in the future. So each turn, you see what you have available. You got to decide: you know, do you want something cheap from the top, or do you really want to spend money and get from something lower? And as you're playing, you realize that the card you take this turn is going to affect what is available in the future and how much it'll cost in the future. And you also got a, a bit of a painful choice in times because stuff in the second row is going to go away for sure. If you don't buy it now, you're not going to have a chance next turn. So that tableau makes the, thing, the game really interesting. You could better manage or plan the game and affect how it's going to... I'm not sure what I'm saying there. The tableau, I think, makes the game really interesting because you could better control what cards are available in the future. You know, it's Like I said, it's different from the multiplayer game. In there... There is no tableau. Each person has a hand of four cards, and you're going to play cards out to the table where everybody could take from those cards. And during this phase two, you're going to end up taking one card from the table that somebody played, which could be you or it could be somebody else, and one card that you kept in your hand. And those two cards you played will become your new cards for the turn. Everything else that nobody took gets discarded. So at the gates of Luoyang, the solitaire game lasts about an hour. Because I said, I really like this. I really like the way the tableau works, and I like the harvesting vegetables and figuring out what to buy and sell. As you're playing the game, you start having more and more customers, and you might you might end up the game end up having like say three regular customers and a few casual customers on the board. If you've got three regular customers, you got to be able to deliver six vegetables each turn, two per customer. And keep in mind, you're only getting one vegetable per field each turn, so you got to have six fields with vegetables to be able to maintain that many customers. They're nice because you could plant the fields with the vegetables those specific customers want so you could plan for them pretty well. But again, you don't make a lot each turn from those folks. The casual customers will pay you more, but they're less predictable because once you've sold to them they're gone and then you gotta hope another casual customer comes along that has the vegetables you want. I'm sorry, he wants vegetables you have. It also gets a bit tough because you're selling these vegetables, but at some point you need to not sell a vegetable and instead plant it so that you could uh, pop, fill up your, your new fields with vegetables for the future. So that brings up one point. Those casual customers, I'm sorry, those regular customers, I said you have to deliver to them every turn. If you don't deliver, if you choose not to deliver one turn, what happens is at the beginning, when you first get that regular customer, you're going to put a little counter on them and have that counter facing on the blue side blue side up. If any turn you choose not to deliver to them for whatever reason, you flip it over from the blue side to the red side. This shows that at some point you failed this person. Any time in the future you don't deliver to that person, if they're already on the red side, you have to pay two cash back to the bank. So it's going to cost you not to deliver. No, nothing forces you, but you know it's going to hurt because there goes some valuable money. The casual customers don't have any restrictions like that. You could take a casual customer and it's your card and you can keep it for the whole game 
and choose to never bother delivering to them. And if you don't, it doesn't hurt anything. It's a it's a wasted card, sure, but it doesn't have any other impact in the game. Now, I also mentioned before the cost. I'm sorry, not the cost, but the money you make from the casual customer varies. It's, for example, casual customer will have a, a value of nine cash plus or minus two. Every casual customer has that plus or minus two. What that means is, if you have more regular customers than casual customers, you'll make two more than his regular his normal price. If the number of casual and regular is the same, it's whatever the normal price is. If you've got more casual than you have regular, then it's a minus two. The, the thinking here is, if you've got more regular customers than casual customers, it's already hard to deliver to casual customers because you need to meet the demands of these regular guys. So you're going to get a bonus. If you've got more casual than you got regular, then it should be relatively easy because you don't have much demand from regular customers. At least in theory. Now, if you've got like four regular customers and nine casual customers, you know, I'm impressed if you manage to deliver to, to one casual customer. You remember how I told you each turn you're going to take all of the vegetables from your field and put them on your cart. Your cart is this little cart and you just stick them everything on there. And then you buy and trade and plant from there. And at the end of the turn, you can only keep one vegetable on your cart. All, all the other vegetables you have in the cart have to get discarded if you, ha if you haven't gotten rid of it by the end of the turn. Now, for two cash, you could pay to flip that cart over and make it a better, bigger cart. Or I'm sorry, actually it's a warehouse technically. But you could make it a bigger warehouse and then you could hold four vegetables each turn at the end of the turn. So that's nice. And some games you end up doing that, some games it doesn't make much difference because you're able to sell everything you have and you keep a low inventory. So that, that's it. That's Gates of Luoyang. I really enjoy the game. I think it has a lot of replayability for the solo game. I will admit that as you play over and over that the game doesn't feel very different but the strategy and the choices you make can be very different depending on what's available in the tableau. I think there's a couple different strategies for playing. You could choose to go for lots of regular customers, you could choose to go for lots of casual, you could try and mix it up. I don't know what strategy is better. I always find it really hard to to try and do just casual customers for some reason. I, I just like the idea of having a regular customer. I like the that safety net, I guess, for that reliability. I do not know if the game is available, easily available. Tanga had a lot of copies on sale for a while, and I, they seem to be out of those now. Yeah, it's no longer available from, uh, say, online retailers like uh, Thought Hammer. It's, it says back order. I'm guessing, based on how often I would see it on Tanga for low prices, I'm guessing Z-Man is not planning on publishing this game again. Hopefully they do. It's a fun game. Worth a try. Also, I have played multiplayer a few times, and that is also a fun experience. It's kind of weird, depending on the number of players you play with. I think... If I remember right, it works pretty well with two or four, but the three-player game is a lot slower and takes longer than the others. And that's because in the four-player game, you play as teams in a manner of speaking, so it's only slightly slower than the two-player game. When the three-player game, everybody's independent. Okay, so let's jump to the end of the show, and we've got a small contest to resolve about dice. Okay, so let's go ahead and give out these dice. If you remember, the way we I'm doing this is I picked eight games, 
and have people sign up with any of the eight games they want, up to three people per game. Now I have nine entrants, so there's a lot of empty spaces here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to roll a die in BGG to pick one of the eight games, and whatever game gets picked, whoever is signed up with that game will win a pair of dice. And I will keep rolling dice until I've gotten rid of all three pairs. If I end up drawing four people somehow instead of just three, then I know, I'll figure out what I'll do. Hope it doesn't come to that. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to do my first roll. Bear with me. Roll. D8. The first roll is an 8, which means the game picked was Rage for the Galaxy. That is R. Martin, R. Martin, Robert, and Laquiter. Each of you win a pair of dice. I have one pair left, so I'm going to roll again. This time I'm going to roll the D7 for 1 through 7 and see who wins the next pair. If Arkham Horror gets picked, there is a head-to-head -head death match between two people. Otherwise, there's only one name associated with each other game. Except for Astral Universe. No, I'm sorry, Astral Novice Merchant Advance, which has nobody. Anyway. Okay, here we go. D7. Let's see if this works out right. Valid. Bam! Oh, okay, now I gotta submit. And I rolled a three, which means Catan Dice Game wins with, what's your name again, Mr. John Hook. Okay, congratulations to Robert, LaQuieter, and John. I will contact each of you to find out how to mail you some dice. And Robert, your local, I may be able to find you Monday night at the game store if I happen to make it. Okay, that's it. That's the end of this week's show. As I said, next week's show may or may not be soon. I had said I might do it based on which game got picked, right? I picked two games. Race for the Galaxy or Catan Dice Game. If I'm going to do an episode in December, and if I am working overtime, it will probably be the Catan Dice Game that you hear about next. Let's see what happens. It's a mystery. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you'd like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek, or you can email me at oneplayeralbert at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the podcast geek list on BoardGameGeek, or come visit the One Player Guild on BoardGameGeek for comments and discussion and whatnot. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected under a Creative Commons license. The song and copyright information can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published under Creative Commons, non-commercial, share-alike license. Thanks for listening.